Um, if you could join me in uh, either your Bibles or the back of your bulletins, um, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, it's also on the screen. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you today. Thank you for your word and thank you for this community. Thank you for all the wisdom and the life that you make available in your scripture. I just pray that your spirit would fill this place and that we would be humble and willing to accept it. Just that your spirit of peace would come over everyone this morning and that we would just be able to rest and receive your words. Pray for Brian as he speaks, that you'd be with him and us as we listen. Jesus, we need you and love you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Brian. If you're new here this morning, we want to say good morning and and glad you are here with us. We are studying the book of Philippians for the next uh, several weeks, and this morning we are looking at this same theme that we've been talking about, God's solutions to our personal problems. And personal problems are things that we often don't really want to think about or talk about or want to bring out into public because they're harder to deal with. But this morning... um, We'll, we'll do our best to think through that. And the topic this morning has to do with pride. And pride is something that can masquerade itself in our lives and it can um, distort our view of life. And, and it's something we never really think of. It's, it's, it's rare, I'll say extremely rare, maybe never have I had anyone come up to me and say, I'm really struggling with pride, would you please pray for me? Um, it's something that we think that we're immune to. We can easily identify it in other people, but it's hard to see in ourselves. And pride is one of the things that prohibits or prevents personal growth. It, it prevents community from growing and flourishing, and it has a tremendous impact in our lives. So Paul writes this letter to uh, a community of believers, and one of the underlying things that's going on is there's some tension, there's some disagreement within the church, And as we said last week, um, one of his main points is this, and he defines life this way. He said, for me to live is Christ. And so this morning, he's going to explain that a little bit more, give us more detail of what that looks like. And so we'll we'll break the morning up this way. We'll say, number one, 
will identify the universal problem that we all have, and that is self-centeredness. And then we'll look at the solution, the universal problem of self-centeredness, and then the solution. I read an article this week um, by a woman named Tina Vasquez to help us wrestle with this, help us uh, bring some clarity to this. And she writes this, It's no wonder why self-centeredness is typically viewed as the most unappealing personality trait in a potential friend or partner. Most of us struggle to maintain a sense of compassion and understanding towards others. Self-centered people, on the other hand, don't bother to take the time to understand another person's point of view or feelings. What is it about American culture that applauds being self-centered? And when we think about culture, one of the things that often happens is we don't think that we have a culture because we're in it. We can easily, if you travel to different parts of the world, you can easily identify culture and things. But when you would live within a culture, it's much harder to identify it. Why do so many Americans take the bait on being self-centered? She writes, today's generation have taken self-centeredness to an unprecedented level. She says this, that she seems to take pride in being self-centered and caring only about our own needs and wants. There are varying degrees of self-centeredness, but the general traits are the same. Putting themselves first, caring only about their needs and wants, being unable to see another person's perspective, being uncaring of others. There are times we've all been guilty of this, but what happens with self-centered people is that they behave this way most of the time. And what makes us challenging is, is that's not something that we want to admit about ourselves and we don't want to ask honest questions. But the Apostle Paul, when he writes this letter, he says this in the, in the very beginning. Here's the things that we do want. Here are the qualities that make a healthy community or healthy friendships or a healthy marriage. He says this. If there's any encouragement in Christ, he says if there's love, if there's affection and sympathy, if there's joy, if there's full accord, if there's unity, then it creates a place where people can enjoy the, their lives, their relationships, where people are healthy. But then the warning comes in this way. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It's in your handout. It says this, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. The word rivalry is selfish ambition. And it's interesting, it was used often in, in Greek New Testament times before, the New, before New Testament times to clarify this, to say this. Self-seeking pursuit of a political office by unfair means. Selfish ambition. Pursuing, this is how we used in extracurricular non-Bible writings. Pursuing power, political power, with unfair or unjust means. It's the idea of this, of an exaggerated self-absorption. And it reveals itself in divisiveness that comes through self-centeredness. It's a divisive attitude that demands its own ways. And then he goes on and uses another word that's an interesting word. Uh, the English Standard Version translates the word this way. It says, conceit. The, the old uh, King James Version says vain conceit. It's a really interesting word. Let me just explain this one word for just a moment. It's a compound word in Greek. 
kenodoxia. And the first part of the word, keno, just means to empty. Uh, an empty well, an en empty jug, uh, an empty house. It was used just in a generic sense, in a regular sense, to describe something that's empty. But it's also used in a metaphorical sense to describe people that are empty, that have an emptiness inside of themselves, or a hollowness. That's the prefix. That's the first part of the word. The second part of the word is the word doxa. We get the word doxology. The word means glory. Here's what it means. It means to be empty of glory. It means to be starving inside. It means to be empty inside where you are starving for respect or honor. It means that you're looking, you're striving, that you're endlessly looking for the assurance that your life matters. It's an extreme insecurity. And what happens is sometimes when we think of a person who's conceited, we think of that outward brashness, the, the person that's always flamboyant or doing things <clears throat> to draw attention to themselves. And it does mean that, but it also means this. It means that there's an emptiness inside of you that's looking for something. It's an extreme insecurity where you are focusing on filling this emptiness you have inside of yourselves. It's the extreme feeling of being ignored. Maybe one of the most frustrating or painful feelings that we can have. In fact, you, uh, if you read studies on this, sociologists will say that people would much rather be disliked than ignored. To be ignored is one of the worst things that can happen to you. Uh, I read a study this week about, on men and women, and uh, you see if you agree with this, but it had to do with men uh, who are starting a family and also women who are starting a family. And it said this, talking about the gender of the child that's on its way, and it said this, this one study, there is a significant gender preference and the direction of the bias depends on the respondent's gender. So if you're a man, if you're a man, the men in this study really, really, really wanted a son. And if you were a woman, the women really, really wanted a daughter. And here's what they said. People have an intrinsic desire to leave something of themselves behind for the future. The results show that men today envision this through sons while women envision this through daughters. And it's just making the point that all of us have something inside of us that, that longs for significance, that longs for meaning, that, that there's a gap, that there's an emptiness there. How do you know if you're feeling empty inside? How does that show itself? You can ask yourself these kinds of questions. How do you respond when people snub you? How do you respond when people don't respond the way you expect? Are you a person who's easily offended? The more empty you are, the harder you are to get along with. There are some people that are just challenging to get along with. And the, the challenge is for us is to think about, is, is it possible? No, it's not possible that, that could be me, right? Is it possible that it's you? Is it possible that it's me? That I'm actually really hard to get along with and I think I'm nice. I think I'm great. I think I'm patient. I think I'm kind. Maybe, but maybe not. Think about how do you respond to people? People that are empty tend to have a negative attitude towards others. 
And we have to step back and think for just a moment. And we look back in the, the context of this book is that Paul is writing a letter to encourage unity, to encourage joy within people's lives. And he's saying this, that the, the paradox is this. We have to remind ourselves of this often, that people who are pursuing their own self-centered happiness are the most empty people. We would think, right, if you have lots of time and money and all this free time and things you want to do and play all the time, we would think that those would be the most happy people. And we know that that's not the case. And so Paul is telling us, he's, he's informing us to be aware, and he warns about this, that we are to do nothing out of selfish ambition or in vain conceit. That the hollowness, that the insecurity leads to division. It leads to rivalry. It leads to dissension. That's the diagnosis of the problem. And then he says this, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. If there is one thing about Christianity that would fly in the face of culture today, it is this. And as we think through this and, and really listen to what Paul is saying, and he'll use Jesus Christ as his, as his example, it is one of the most countercultural beliefs that Christianity teaches. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And to think about this, let's make this even a little bit harder to, to wrestle with and to think through. Think about people that are struggling in areas that you're not. And here's the, the universal truth is this. We all have something that we're struggling with. We all have some issue. There might be someone, <clears throat> there might be somebody struggling here with marriage or problems or just even our own personal integrity. And you might be somebody whose that part of your relationship is going great. You're, you're thriving. You're having your devotions. You're just, you're growing and you're happy. And somebody else is struggling. Instead of having morning devotions, they're struggling with porn. And our response is, you just need to get in the Word more, brother. Yeah, it's a really simple solution. And what happens is, Paul is saying this. He's saying, do nothing out of rivalry or, or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant. So what it's asking, Paul is challenging us to think, is to put people as a place of high value People that are struggling in areas that you're not struggling, will you see them as valuable? Will you see them as significant? And then thankfully, though, he gives us the example. He gives us more help than just to leave us there. So the singular solution is humility. The solution to our, our rivalry, our emptiness, is humility. And Paul says this, to have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. And here's what he says. Look at verse 5. It says, this, Have this mind among yourselves. And so number one, we learn this about humility. Humility begins with your mind. Begins with right thinking. That you have to think the right way. Literally, the word means lowliness of mind. That it, there's a critical aspect to it that involves thinking. How you treat people demands, or how you treat people is dependent on how you think about other people. The words that come out of your mouth, the actions that you do towards other people, 
will be conditioned based on how you feel about them or how you think about them. And look how often he uses the word think. Chapter 2, verse 2 says this, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Chapter 2, verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's saying have the mind of Christ, which is a humble mind, which is a way of thinking where you think of other people as more significant than yourselves. Paul's emphasis here is that humility begins with our mind and thinking. And he goes on further and he says this, that we are to have the mind of Christ. Verse 6 says this, who, though he was in the form of God, this is referring to Jesus Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself a servant and this is one of the most significant and profound descriptions of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And one of the most valuable things that you can think through and wrestle and ask questions about who Jesus Christ really is. He says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And here's what he does. Here's the mind of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so what Paul is saying here is that there is no false humility here with Christ. He doesn't suppress his true identity. He gives up privileges. He gives up privileges to show his love and care for other people. Jesus considered, and here's what it's saying, Jesus considered us, Jesus considered you, as more important, more valuable than holding on to the privileges of staying with his father. It's the, it's the most clear picture of Jesus saying, you're more important, you're more valuable, because he lives and gives up the rights and privileges that he has with his father. He goes on and says this. Third, humility is this. Humility is expressed in action. It's an active love, not a passive love. Verse 7, or excuse me, I'll, let me read verse 6 again. Who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. This is Jesus Christ who is saying, Paul's writing this and saying, imitate Christ. Imitate, imitate the mind of Christ. That he is equal with his Father. He is equally and fully God, and he gives up those rights and comes to earth because he considers us valuable. And he says this, that he takes on the form of a servant. That he literally washes the feet of his disciples. And it's an active love. And here's what we notice. This is, this is um, significant here as far as what theologians have identified in these few verses. This is what people refer to as the incarnation of Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ becomes man. And let me just walk, this, walk through this with you, and we'll notice just seven quick observations from these passages that show us how Christ lived out humility. All right, so I'll start in verse 7. It says this. Number one, he emptied himself. That means that Jesus became man. That's number one. Number two, he took the form of a servant. 
that the living God came to earth in the form of a man and took on the role of a servant. Number three, he was made in human likeness. Verse eight, he humbled himself. It says, and he, and being found in, in human form, he humbled himself. Number six, obedient to the point of death. Number seven, death on the cross. Why does he come to earth? Why does he atone for our sin? Because he considered others more valuable than himself. He laid aside his own desire to stay in a, in a place of security. And we just need to think about this. When, when the Apostle Paul says this, don't do this, but do this, the example that he always gives that, to build our lives upon is that of Jesus Christ. And so there is a downward progression. There is a step down, lower and lower and lower to the point where Jesus Christ dies on the cross. As an example for us, that's why Paul says this back in verse 5 again, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that this is who we are to be. The result of this is exaltation. Look what God, how God responds to the life of Christ. Verse 9 says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It's the paradox. It's never self-promotion. It's never asserting one's um, privileges or rights. It's when we look to Christ that he considers others more important. And the result of that is exaltation is a life that matters, is a life of contentment, is a life of beauty. And as, if we just think about this for a second, and how, let me go back to verse 3 for a second, contrasting this, the emptiness inside, and what happens when in our, in our lives, the functional daily output of our lives, when we are empty inside. Paul says that it leads to divisiveness. It leads to broken families. It leads to arguments. It leads to decay in relationships. Pride looks so good. It's the charade. It's the, it's the master charade of thinking that we have it our way. And Paul says, my friends, look to Christ. Have the mind of Christ. And look at what he did. Look how he considered others more important than himself. And the result of that is a lifted up life. And that's what God the Father does. Verse 10 says this, so that the, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to God be the glory. The ultimate source of our happiness is thinking the way Christ thinks, is adopting an attitude that Christ will fill you up. And when you are filled up, you will then have the power, the ability to consider others more important than yourselves. As I conclude this morning, um, my hope and, and thought for us this morning is that we will be willing to ask the question about hidden pride, about do I demand things my own way? Am I honestly more self-centered than I realize? Do I get along with everyone as long as they let me have my way? Am I nice and easy to get along with in life as long as things go according to my plan? 
What happens when life doesn't go your way? Will we follow the words here of, of the Apostle Paul when he says this? But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Will you allow people to help you? Will you allow people to befriend you? Will you allow people access to your life to love you and care for you? The example is Jesus Christ as the one who gave it all to show his love and concern for us. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning and we confess that, that pride is the universal problem that it's within me, that it's within all of us, and it can hide itself, it can masquerade itself, it can make excuses, it can deny, it can justify, it can do all of these things, but never satisfy that longing, that emptiness in our heart. Father, I pray this morning that your son Jesus would be the one to fill our life so that we would then have the power to to count others as more valuable than our own agenda. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.